Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You have been listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Lucille, did you want to say something? Yes, Bob. Sad things are best said simply. So I'll just say, tonight is our last show. Lucille Ball said goodbye to her radio show in March of 1951. It's been a wonderful two and a half years. My Favorite Husband had been on for 124 episodes and had millions of listeners. Lucy's announcement came as a surprise. But now I'd like to thank everyone connected with the show. She held it together as she thanked the sponsor and the cast. But when she got to the crew, her voice cracked. Lucy was crying on the air. And of course, our director, Jess Hoppenheimer, and Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll Jr., who wrote the scripts with him. Lucy wasn't leaving them behind. She was taking them to a new show, a TV show a show that was the biggest gamble of her career. Television was new back then. Compared to radio and movies, the TV audience was tiny. The new show was going to be called I Love Lucy, with Lucy's real-life husband, Desi Arnaz, as her co-star. Putting Desi in the show was also a gamble. CBS hated the idea. Desi was Cuban. The network thought it would be scandalous for them to play husband and wife. Lucy! Is that you, sweetie pie? Lucy and Desi had only a few months to land a sponsor, hire a cast, shoot the show, and most importantly, make it funny. The pressure on them was enormous. That's why Lucy was crying on the radio. She was 39 years old and risking everything. And there was something else. After trying for 10 years to have a baby, Lucille Ball was five months pregnant. I'm Ben Mankiewicz, and this is Season 3 of The Plot Thickens, a podcast from Turner Classic Movies. This season, we're telling the story of how Lucille Ball became the funniest, most recognizable woman in America. This is Episode 6, I Love Lucy. Ricky! Yes, Lucy, what is it? 
Lucy made a pilot episode for I Love Lucy before she left her radio show. Jess Oppenheimer produced it. He was Lucy's producer on My Favorite Husband. She trusted him, even though he had zero experience in television. By the time the radio show quit for the season, we'd already been sold as a television show, so we moved right into a, a whole business that none of us knew the slightest thing about. The first thing they needed was a sponsor. Shows didn't have commercials when television started. They had sponsors. Brought to you by One company would pay the production costs for an entire season. Everything from salaries to equipment to studio space. Lucy and Desi even talk about sponsors in the I Love Lucy pilot. On television, you have to have a pretty girl to demonstrate the sponsor's product. Yeah? Sure, she eats it or drinks it or smokes it or waxes the floor with it or cuts potatoes with it or drives off in it. <laughs> Jello was the sponsor for My Favorite Husband, but they passed on I Love Lucy. Jello told CBS they preferred Lucy's radio husband, Richard Denning, over Desi Arnaz. They didn't like that Lucy was married to a Cuban. The network, the agencies, everybody involved said nobody was going to believe that a Latin band leader could ever be married to a typical red-headed American girl. Desi began to doubt himself. This is from his memoir. It's read by an actor. Look, honey, maybe they're right, I said. Maybe you and I don't make any sense playing husband and wife. As a matter of fact, lots of people say it didn't make any sense for us to get married in the first place. Maybe it's not good for your career or for mine either. Lucy disagreed. She wanted Desi. More sponsors passed, and without one, there would be no show. Finally, one company showed interest. Philip Morris, the tobacco giant. America's most Cigarette commercials haven't been allowed on television since 1970, but you saw them all the time in the 1950s. When you change to Philip Morris, you'll feel better. Did you say I'll feel better smoking Philip Morris? Yes, you'll feel better. And here are the reasons why. Philip Morris hadn't advertised much on TV, but they liked Lucy. So they offered to sponsor the show for around $20,000 an episode. At the time, most shows cost twice that. CBS didn't have any other options. They said yes. That took care of the money. But I Love Lucy had other problems. Lucy and Desi planned to shoot the show in Hollywood. CBS and Philip Morris had a different idea. CBS said, well, we can't do that. You have to come to New York and you have to do it. I said, oh, no way. I'm not going to New York. Most television was done live in the 1950s. Lucy and Desi assumed I Love Lucy would air live on the West Coast and the rest of the country would see a recording of it later. And you're not going to believe how they made this recording. Back then... They would literally take a camera, point it at a television set while the show was on, and press record. Kind of like what you do to make a bootleg copy. It was called kinescope. And the quality, as you can imagine, was lousy. Turtle in there. Oh, then the Rice Krispies must be here. In the Philip Morris was based back east. They didn't want to see a grainy kinescope version of a show they were sponsoring. And they had a point. In 1951, 85% of TV viewers lived east of the Rockies. I would not do it on Kinescope, and I would not go to New York. 
Lucy was in the last two months of her pregnancy. Everything we had done, trying to work as a team, we had done in order to see if we could at last be together and stay home. And now in particular, when we were anxiously awaiting the arrival of our first child. This man was asking us when we were going to be in New York. It was Desi who came up with a solution. They wouldn't broadcast the show live. They'd shoot it on film. That was it. Of course, we would do it on film. We would be able to make as many prints as needed, and the whole country would get the same top quality. Shooting on film seemed like the perfect solution. Lucy and Desi could stay in California. They could shoot episodes weeks ahead of time. Then they could make copies and send them to stations around the country. No kinescopes, only high-quality film. But shooting on film wasn't easy. So to do it on film, the union, the law, said that I had to do it within a studio. And that almost crashed the whole idea. Do it in a studio? Where the hell would I find a studio that had the room? They needed room for cameras and lighting and equipment. And room for an audience. And I wouldn't work unless I had an audience. Lucy knew that's how she performed best. She had the star power to convince CBS to let them shoot on film and in a studio in L.A. But it was Desi who had to figure out how to get it done. Desi didn't know, but he was a born innovator, showman, gambler, a big gambler, not just with money, but I mean with his ideas, with his, uh, what he dared try. Desi took control. He put together a team and sent them on a mission. Find a studio, a big studio. And they did. General Service Studios on Las Palmas Avenue in Hollywood. Stage two. It was big enough for the film cameras and the bleachers where the audience would sit. Nobody had ever put a studio audience on a film set before. But that didn't stop Desi. But he made it possible. He found a way. He got the fire department, the police department, everybody that was involved, the construction, the studio people, and they knocked holes through walls. They put in restrooms. They had to make sure that the exits were on a boulevard. He did everything that we wanted to do and saw that it was done well. Now Desi had to find a way to pay for it. Shooting on film is expensive, much more expensive than broadcasting a show live. Between that and constructing a new set, I Love Lucy was quickly going over budget. So Desi went to CBS and struck a deal, the first of many deals he'd make with the network. CBS would pay for the film stock if Lucy and Desi both took a pay cut. They were supposed to be paid $5,000 an episode. Now it was down to $4,000. Desi had one condition, though. He and Lucy would own the negative, the original film version of the show. CBS agreed. They figured, who'd want to watch an episode of a show they'd already seen before? We didn't have any idea that it would run for a long time, that it would be successful. Nobody knew what television was. Here I was producing a a television show. I'd never worked one day in a movie studio and nothing about film. It's amazing that it ever got on the air at all. Jess Oppenheimer was the producer. He came from radio. He knew story. He knew comedy. 
But shooting a television show was new to him. He needed a specialized crew, and lighting was the biggest problem. Typically, TV shows had three cameras, one for a wide shot, one for medium shots, and one for close-ups. But film needs different lighting for every shot. The crew couldn't figure out how to make it work. In fact, nobody in Hollywood could figure it out. Then Lucy thought of someone from her past. Dewberry was a lady. In 1943, Lucy starred in an MGM musical called Dewberry Was a Lady. The director of photography was a man named Carl Freund. He was best known as a cinematographer, but he was also a director, an inventor, and something of a genius. Lucy loved Carl. He was round and jovial. He carried around a thermos full of martinis. Everyone called him Papa. Carl knew how to light Lucy and how to shoot her. He knew how to make her look absolutely gorgeous. Lucy's hair was dyed red for the first time in Dewberry Was a Lady. Carl Freund shot her in Technicolor. Lucy and her hair popped off the screen. She looked so good, she stayed a redhead for the rest of her life. Carl was also the man who shot Dracula. I am Dracula. And he'd won an Oscar for his work on The Good Earth. By the time I Love Lucy came around, Carl was in his 60s and semi-retired. He was working for the government in Washington. He was developing a camera that was small enough to be swallowed. This was the Cold War, the golden age of crazy spy gear. That's when he got a call from Desi. I called Carl and told him what I wanted to do. I want to stage the show as a play, film it in continuity in front of an audience of perhaps 300 people using three 35mm cameras and recording the audience's laughter and reactions simultaneously with our dialogue. Carl told Desi it was impossible to light three camera angles at the same time. Desi didn't argue with him. He flattered him instead. Well, I know that nobody has done it up to now. But I figured that if there was anybody in the world who could do it, it would be Carl Freund. Well, thanks for thinking about me, he said, but you know that Lucy's no chicken. You want her to look good, don't you? Of course. Well then, for her close-ups, I will have to use special lighting, put a little gauze on the lens. I interrupted, I don't know that end of it, Papa. You are the master at that. I could feel I was getting to him. Desi did get to him. Carl left D.C. and returned to California. He lived near us in the valley, and he was coming over and giving Desi advice and whatnot, and we just did innovation after innovation after innovation. Eventually, Carl came up with the solution to the lighting problem. He put all the lights on the ceiling above the set. This provided plenty of light at any angle and didn't block the view of the studio audience. It sounds simple enough, but... In 1951, it was revolutionary, and it paid off. I Love Lucy looked better than any other show on the air. Now, the only issue was the script. CBS ordered a full season of I Love Lucy, 35 episodes. Incredible, if you think about it. Shows today top out at 22 episodes, and most have around 10 per season. 
and they come with a whole staff of writers. I Love Lucy had three. The writing team consisted of my father and Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll Jr., who were staff writers at CBS. That's Greg Oppenheimer, Jess Oppenheimer's son. They weren't long out of college at that point, very young. In fact, Lucy referred to them as the youngsters. Madeline and Bob had worked with Lucy on My Favorite Husband. And when Lucy made the jump to television, she brought them along. And, and so uh, we said, I guess we better learn to write for television. That's Madeline Pugh. She was a comedy writer when there were no female comedy writers. She's the one who got saddled with typing the script while her writing partner, Bob, paced the floor. Together, they wrote the pilot for I Love Lucy. I was just dissing you, honey. You look beautiful. We had no idea what Desi could do, but of course he turned out to be just gold because of the accent and the nightclub and all his, you know, things we could use. We're not kissing me. I know you, Ricky Ricardo. In the pilot, Lucy plays an upper-middle-class housewife. She's married to Ricky, who was a band leader, just like Desi. What do you want to do, gents me? They live in a Manhattan high-rise. Lucy's character wants to be in showbiz, too, and... She tries to get in on Ricky's nightclub act. Because I can sing. (laughs) But Lucy wanted to be more relatable. And tell jokes. And I wanted middle American. I wanted to be the housewife worrying about the same things that housewives all over the world worry about. The writers moved Lucy and Ricky out of the high rise and into a more modest brownstone. They also got some new neighbors. Here's Greg Oppenheimer again. Before they actually started shooting, they realized they needed someone else for Lucy and Ricky to talk to and plot with. And so uh, they created uh, Fred and Ethel Mertz. Oh, I don't think those Italian actresses are so much. Not one of them's got her hair combed. (laughs) Well, they look great to me. (laughs) If I let my hair go like that, you'd never let me hear the end of it. Honey Bunch, if the rest of you looked like that, I wouldn't care if you were bald. Fred and Ethel were Lucy and Ricky's landlords, and most of the time, their best friends. Adding another couple changed the dynamic of the show. Now, instead of it always being Lucy versus Ricky, it could be the Ricardos against the Mertzes, or the women against the men. Finding the right actor for Fred was easy. Bill Frawley called Lucy and said he wanted the part. William Frawley was a balding character actor with a pot belly. He was usually cast as a hard-nosed cop or a baseball manager. But good pitchers don't turn up every four years like presidents, you know. Lucy knew Bill was perfect for Fred Mertz. But he had a problem. They were worried about uh, hiring him because he had a reputation of uh, drinking too much. That's putting it kindly. Bill Frawley was an alcoholic. CBS and Philip Morris both wanted to find someone else for the role. But Desi also knew his way around a bottle, and he was sympathetic to Frawley. The two of them met for drinks, and Desi made Frawley a deal. Look, I don't give a damn whether you drink or not. I like to drink myself, and I'll drink you under the table any time you'd like to give it a try, except during working hours. The first time you are not able to do your job, I'll try to work around you for the day. The second time, I'll try to manage again. But if you do it three times, you are through. They shook on it. Bill Frawley got the job. But they had a hard time casting Ethel Mertz. They were five weeks away from the start of production, 
and they still didn't have an Ethel. Their director had an idea. He said, for God's sake, get down and see a girl named Vivian Vance at La Jolla. So Jess Oppenheimer, our producer, and Desi went down. Vivian Vance, who worked regularly on the stage, was a triple threat who could sing, dance, and act. She was starring in a play at the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, about two hours away. Desi and Jess climbed in the car and drove down to catch the Saturday evening show. At intermission, Desi and Jess ran to a phone. And they called me back and they said, we just saw her. Believe us, you will love her on sight. Lucy took their word for it, and they cast Vivian. I met Lucille Ball on stage A, same day that she met Vivian Vance. Maury Thompson was I Love Lucy's script supervisor. He spoke to PBS in 1999 and remembers the moment Desi introduced Lucy to Vivian. Hi. Oh, hi. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, how are you? Hi. Well, Vivian Vance. Well, like Desi you. said, oh, honey, I don't think you've met uh, Miss Vance. How do you do? Oh, oh, no. No, I haven't. How do you do? What part are you reading for? And Desi says, for Ethel Mertz, honey, what's the matter with you? Ethel Mertz? Well, you don't look like a landlady. Well, your hair is the same color as mine. And Viv says, Miss Ball, I can dye it black. It doesn't matter to me at all. Lucy expected someone older, someone heavier. Instead, she got Vivian Vance, pretty and trim, and just two years older than Lucy. Lucy didn't want the competition. And Vivian, for her part, wasn't happy either. Vivian was very, very upset because she was she was used to being on Broadway or in road companies playing the elegant second woman. Before he became the host of TCM, Robert Osborne was a friend of Lucy's. He talked to PBS in 1999. She didn't like being in a house dress as a frumpy woman playing the second woman and supposedly old enough to be married to Fred Mertz. Lucy and Vivian eventually became friends, but Vivian never got along with her TV husband. I mean, Bill Frawley was a very difficult man and didn't like Vivian Vance at all, and she didn't like him at all. He was an old curmudgeon, but he used that, you know, and the scripts were so well-written that it worked out perfectly. Hey, Rick, are you doing anything Monday night? I don't think so. It's my night off. Why? I'd like you to join me in commemoration of an 18-year-old tragedy. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, it's our wedding anniversary. Bill Ferrali would contribute some insults that he wanted to, to make about Ethel. Uh, and uh, like uh, she has a figure like a sack full of doorknobs or something. Aside from those insults, Bill Frawley was happy to have as few lines as possible. He would take the pages that he'd have lines on and he, he would tear them out of the script. And that's the only thing he would read. <laughs> and then when he wasn't, you know, actually in a scene, he would be off in his, his dressing room reading the bracing form or something. They weren't one big happy family, but on set they had chemistry. They were funny, all except one. If you came to a, a rehearsal, first reading of Lucy, you'd say, keep everybody but the redhead, she's terrible, fire her. 
That's the show's producer, Jess Oppenheimer, talking about Lucy in 1961. Lucy was the kind of a performer that never seemed to know what she was reading the first time through. She was looking for meanings and uh, not paying any attention to how it came out. And slowly, over the days of rehearsal, she would polish and polish. And finally, if she got enough rehearsal, she was just sensational. And that inimitable personality, that talented performer, that versatile entertainer, Lucy Ricardo! Before rehearsals even started, Lucy went to the hospital. It was July 17, 1951. Remember, Lucy was pregnant. By now, she was two weeks overdue, and the baby was in the breech position. She went in for a C-section and delivered a healthy little girl, weighing 7 pounds 8 ounces. Lucy and Desi had picked the name Susan for a girl, but after the surgery, while Lucy was still unconscious, Desi made the last-minute decision to name their daughter Lucy, with an I-E at the end. Lucille Ball, who was about to turn 40, was a mom for the first time. But she wouldn't get much time off. In just seven weeks, she would step in front of the cameras for the very first episode of I Love Lucy. After the break, it's showtime. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, we're on TV now. Watch for I Love Lucy. With Lucille Ball. And Desi Arnaz, he's my husband. Typecasting, I calls it. Promos for I Love Lucy started airing on CBS in the fall of 1951. Don't forget about us. She's Vivian Vance. And he's Bill Frawley. Watch for us in I Love Lucy. The show was set to premiere in October. They began shooting in front of a live audience on a Saturday in September. L.A.'s summer heat was just starting to fade. On Romaine Street, one block south of Santa Monica Boulevard, 300 fans lined up in front of the door to Stage 2. Tickets were free, but this was a high-class affair. The men wore suits and ties, the women wore pencil skirts and fitted jackets. It was so formal, they wore gloves. They walked up the steps and took their seats in the bleachers. The specially designed lights hung from above. 
Lucy was in her dressing room, just a thin wall separating her from that very first live studio audience. She could almost feel them pouring into their seats. And for Lucy, that was the greatest feeling in the world. It was just so exciting. I can't tell you. It was so exciting. In front of the set, cinematographer Carl Freund stared at the ground. He was checking the masking tape they put down the night before. The tape showed the cameramen where to go. Freund was looking for bumps, cracks, any imperfections in the smooth floor that could jostle the cameras as they moved. Next to the stage was a band, Desi's band. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Desi Arnaz. As they started to play, the audience applauded, and out came Desi Arnaz. Thank you, Ryan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. We found some old footage of how Desi introduced the show. He is the ultimate showman in his velvet smoking jacket, a mic in his right hand, a lit cigarette in the other. He waves the cigarette around, gesturing to all the equipment. As you know, this is film. And that's why you see all these cameras down here and the boom and the lights and all the people and all the stuff because it's just like making a movie, see? Now, if there's one thing Desi knows, it's how to warm up a crowd. And first of all, I'd like you to meet young lady. She plays our landlady in the show. She plays Ethel Mertz. Miss Vivian Vance, ladies and gentlemen. Vivian takes a bow and Desi continues. He introduces the cast one by one as if he's in a nightclub and they're members of his band. And the fellow that plays our landlord, he plays Fred Mertz. He's married to Vivian in the show, that is. Uh, <laughs> Mr. William Frawley. Bill Frawley, ladies and gentlemen. Fred Mertz. Come out here, Bill. Take a bow. Bill waves to the crowd and Desi waves him off. He doesn't want to keep the audience waiting too long. He knows who they've come to see. And now the, the other girl in the show. Uh, my favorite redhead. My favorite wife. The, uh, the vice president of Desilu Productions Incorporated. I am the president. She plays Lucy. Lucille Ball. Lucy bursts onto the set from behind a door. She runs up and down the small set and waves to the audience. She's dressed in a blue, fur-trimmed negligee on top of a pair of plain pajamas. The pajamas are her first costume of the night. Lucy wants to get things started as quickly as possible. To her, this is no nightclub act. It's live theater. And the worst thing you can do is bore the audience. Finally, those expensive film cameras are ready to roll. Please, quiet, everybody. Roll picture. And action. Philip Morris, America's finest cigarette, presents the Lucille Ball, Desi Arnett Show. I love Lucy. Oh, hello, honey. There you are. <laughs> What's the matter with you? You got an itch or something? No. Nothing's the matter with me. What's new? At one point during the filming, Jess Oppenheimer disappeared. 
and he couldn't find him. He wasn't in the booth. And he finally went down, and my dad was pacing back and forth behind the bleachers. He couldn't even see what was going on. He was just listening to see how the audience was reacting. They were reacting exactly how he'd hoped. They were laughing. Lucy's acting crazy. Crazy for Lucy or crazy for ordinary people? For the first episode, they shot everything in sequence, straight through, just like a play, including the music, because that's how Jess Oppenheimer always did it on radio. They were doing all the music live, the transitions between scenes and everything. Afterwards, uh, Danny Kahn, the editor, came up to him and said, you know, it would be a hell of a lot easier to edit this thing if you just put the music in afterwards. (laughs) And he said, good idea. (laughs) So that was the last time they did that. They called that first show... Lucy thinks Ricky is trying to murder her. Because it was a nightmare to edit, it ended up being the fourth episode to hit the air. Instead, when I Love Lucy debuted Monday, October 15, 1951, they aired The Girls Want to Go to a Nightclub. Ricky hates nightclubs. But he works in one. Your life should be just one gay round of nightclubs. Yeah, that's what I thought when I married a band leader. But ever since we said I do, there are so many things we don't. The critics loved it, and so did people at home. A few months after its debut, I Love Lucy became the most popular television program of all time. Remember the date. One week Laugh with I Love Lucy on this same station. It was a magic combination, and that kind of thing happens so rarely in anything today, where you've got the perfect people for the perfect parts. Because there's so many talented people out there, and so many people that can do everything that Lucy, Desi, Vivian, and Bill Frawley could do. But the four of them doing it together were the perfect mix for that. And if you changed any one of those elements, the whole history of the I Love Lucy show could have been different. Here I am with all this talent bottled up inside of me, and you're always sitting on the cork. (laughs) The first season of I Love Lucy was produced at a breakneck pace. 35 episodes shot in 35 weeks. The writers packed physical comedy into every episode. They came up with crazy scenarios. But Lucy was so good, so committed, that she made even the wackiest story seem plausible. Yeah, Ricky's not going to be the only one in this family with a mustache. What? I'm going to glue on a false one, and I'm not going to take it off till he shaves off his. Lucy was game for any stunt. But the biggest laughs came from her face. It was like she was made out of rubber. She would move her eyebrows and puff out her cheeks. And in the center were those big blue eyes, which got wider and wider as the scene went on. And she made noises. The writers called that the spider. They just said, make some kind of a, of a noise that sounded like, I don't want to do that, or that, you know. So all of that just came out, and I just went, And it became known as the spider. Lucy's other signature move, crying. The uh, crying was fun to do. It served many a purpose, ended many a scene, and uh, I love doing it. (laughs) Now, Lucy, you've got to be brave. I'll be brave. Ah! 
Lucy's signature is the number of faces that she used to do. Her signature was very visual. That's Gustavo Perez Firmat. He's a Cuban-American professor and an expert on Desi Arnaz. Desi's signature was oral. Desi's signature was the sound of his voice. Desi's signature was the show begins, he opens the door, Lucy, I'm home. Lucy, I'm home. Desi's signature is his accent. It's amazing to remember that CBS didn't want Desi because he was Cuban. Ricky Ricardo's accent became the writer's favorite running gag. And don't you make fun of my English. Hmm, That's English. When Ricky got angry, he would lapse into Spanish. How dare you say that to me? What did I say? I don't know, but how dare you? I Love Lucy fully embraced Desi's heritage, especially during the musical numbers. They call me Cuban Pete. I'm the king of the rumba beat. When I play the maracas, I go chick chick boom chick chick During those nightclub scenes, Lucy's talents were also on full display. I Love Lucy was the culmination of years of training. It showcased every one of Lucy's skills. The poise she learned as a model, the physicality she brought to a movie set, the work ethic she learned from Leela Rogers, and the facial expressions that got laughs from the studio audience when she was in radio. Lucy brought it all to every episode. Perhaps nothing showcased Lucy's versatility more than episode 30. Lucy does a TV commercial. Hello, friends. I'm your Vitamita Benjamin girl. Lucy auditions for a commercial to sell a Wonder Tonic. She has no idea it's laced with alcohol. The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. As Lucy drinks more and more Vitamita Vegemin, she starts swaying back and forth. Her eyes begin to flutter. Her words start to slur. It's so tasty, too. Tastes like candy. Honest. (laughs) Playing drunk is one of the hardest things for an actor to do. It takes a great deal of control to look like you're losing control. So why don't you join the thousands of happy, happy people and get a great big bottle of Myamita Midgement? Lucy, though, made it seem easy and the country loved her for it. Coming up, Lucy changes television again by breaking another taboo. And now, the biggest TV news of the season. Just three weeks from tonight, Philip Morris again proudly presents America's number one television show, I Love Lucy. As Lucy and Desi prepared for season two of I Love Lucy, they got a surprise. Lucy was pregnant again. They panicked, not because Lucy was 40 years old, but because they thought this pregnancy meant the end of their show. Nobody had that baby on the on the television. I mean, it hadn't been done, so everyone was 
Desi was frantic. He thought we were all off the air. Madeline Pugh was a writer on the show. It was considered scandalous to see a pregnant woman on television. Not only that, you couldn't even say the word pregnant. In 1952, the censors decided the rules about race, about gender, and about sex on television. On I Love Lucy, Lucy and Ricky Ricardo slept in separate beds. Desi talked about Lucy's pregnancy with David Letterman in 1983. Uh, I told the head writer at the time, was uh, Jess Oppenheimer, and I said, Lucy's going to have a baby. She says, what are we going to do? I said, what do you mean, what are we going to do? She's going to have a baby. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Jess Oppenheimer, the producer, had an idea. Instead of hiding the pregnancy, they'd make it part of the story. They always needed new ideas anyway, and this one was a doozy. Immediately, CBS said no. They said, well, can you hide her, you know, be, be behind high chairs or sitting down on a table? I said, not Lucy. When she gets pregnant, brother, there's no question about it. She, she wobbles around like a big elephant. There's no way, yeah. no way to hide her for six months, you know. Yeah. Desi went over the heads of CBS executives and went directly to the people who paid the bills. The show's sponsor, Philip Morris. At first, they vetoed the pregnancy storyline, too. So Desi called their bluff. He told them if they didn't go along with the idea, they'd lose the most popular show on television. Finally, the uh, head of Philip Morris was a wonderful old guy called Alfred Lyons. He, he wrote him a note saying, don't uh, <laughs> fool around with the Cuban. Uh -huh. I cleaned it up a little. Yeah. <laughs> what Alfred Lyons really said was, don't fuck with the Cuban. Now that Lucy and Desi had the backing of Philip Morris, CBS reluctantly agreed to let Lucy be pregnant on television. But they had some conditions. They say, I had to say, spectin. <laughs> so that... It was better for me to use spectin anyway. Yeah, you know? yeah. It still is. CBS paid close attention to all the baby storylines. Every script was scrutinized. They even had a rabbi, a priest, and a minister review the scripts. Being pregnant on TV generated a lot of laughs, like the time Lucy wanted ice cream at four in the morning. Ice cream with a very unusual topping. Mm. Now pour that right on top of this. But honey, these are sardines. Right on top. And I did have cravings, but it wasn't for sardines. But the script said sardines and ice cream. I said, all right, get me mashed potatoes. It looks like ice cream. And get me brown gravy, good brown gravy, because that'll help cover up the, uh, the, the look and the taste, because I really had to eat it. And I want to tell you, my eyes crossed. Wonderful. <laughs> Lucy needed to take maternity leave from the show. She and Desi talked about it and decided she should be off from November through March. 
but that left a hole in the production schedule. They wouldn't have any new episodes for four months. Here's Greg Oppenheimer. My dad had the idea of uh, rerunning some shows. That had never been done before. But because I Love Lucy was shot on film, the show would look just as good the second time around as it did the first. I Love Lucy created the rerun. Yes, America's favorite television program. It worked so well that the ratings of the reruns exceeded uh, the ratings of the first-run shows. During I Love Lucy's first season, not many people had TV sets. Just a very small fraction. It was just uh, affluent people. Motorola TV, the only television set to receive the Fashion Academy Award for beauty of cabinet design. The number of people with TV sets exploded between first and second season, so there were millions and millions more people who, it wasn't rerun for them, they didn't have a TV the year before. Enjoy real big-picture television at small-picture price. The writing team started work on the most important episode of the season, the one where Lucy has a baby. Ricky, this is it. Desi and Jess realized they had a public relations opportunity right in front of them. Their star and their main character were both pregnant. Maybe they could time it so that Lucy Ricardo's baby would be born on the same day as Lucille Ball's baby. And since she was going to have a cesarean, they picked a Monday night. I Love Lucy aired on Monday nights. But there was one thing the writers couldn't possibly predict, whether Lucy was having a boy or a girl. Like your 50-50 chance, so we said it was a boy. <laughs> That's what they wanted because they had a lot of yeah. And we were very, you know, we were lucky. And, and we understood that when it was a boy that everybody just in the operating room just screamed, there's a boy, and carried on. On Monday, January 19th, 1953, Lucille Ball gave birth to Desiderio Alberto Arnez IV. Everyone called him Desi Jr. Desi Sr. passed out Havana cigars at Cedars Hospital in Los Angeles. He finally had a son, someone to carry on the Arnez name. His alter ego, Ricky Ricardo, celebrated on TV that same night. Boy! TV and reality were blurring together, and Philip Morris was there to make a buck off it. Yes, there's a new baby, a wonderful baby at the Ricardos, and we of Philip Morris rejoice in the blessed event. To Lucy, to Ricky, and to the new baby, love and kisses from Philip Morris. And from all America. All America might seem a bit much, but it wasn't far off. That night, more than 90% of the people who had televisions watched I Love Lucy. The morning after Lucy gave birth was January 20th, Inauguration Day. I, Dwight D. Eisenhower, do solemnly swear... 29 million people tuned in to watch Dwight David Eisenhower become the 34th president of the United States. But 44 million people watched Lucy the night before. Fans sent flowers and toys and onesies. Nothing like that had ever happened in television before. Television hadn't been around that long on that big a basis that everybody fell in love with the family and watched the family every week. 
The episode Lucy Goes to the Hospital united America in a way that no movie and no radio show had ever done before. Television was now dominant, and Lucy and Desi were its queen and king. The girl from Jamestown had everything she could ever imagine. Fame, a husband, a son and a daughter, and an audience of millions. But Lucy didn't trust it, all that happiness. She was waiting, waiting for something to go wrong, for all that luck to disappear. The question is, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? On our next episode... For the past week in Washington, the House Committee on Un-American Activities has been investigating the film industry. Lucy's past catches up with her when the U.S. government comes knocking and tries to turn the country against her. You act, you know, they may have looked at each other and said, uh, Lucille Ball isn't a communist and it's not fair to hurt her like this. But that just doesn't quite sound like you act, does it? Angela Carone is our director of podcasts. Story editor and creative consultant is Joanne Ferrion. Audio editing and sound design by Mike Volgaris and his exceptional ears. Script writing by Angela Carone, Yako Friedman, Dale Maharaj, Maya Croth, and Joanne Ferrion. Yako Friedman is our senior producer. Associate production from Josh Lash. Additional editing and sound design by Paul Robert Mounsey and Heather Frankel. Additional script editing by Brian Erstadt and Susan White. James Sheridan is our researcher, fact checker, and resident Lucy expert. Mixing by Glenn Matulo and Tim Pelletier. Production support from Jordan Bogie, Bailey Tyler, Allison Fior, Julie Beton, Mario Riles, Susanna Zapeta, Liz Winter, and Reed Hall. Web support by Betsy Gooch. Thanks to David Byrne, Wendy Gardner, Taryn Jacobs, Diana Bosch, and the entire TCM marketing team. Thank you to Dotson Raider, whose interview with Lucy is heard throughout this podcast. The interview with Madeline Pugh Davis comes courtesy of the Writers Guild Foundation. The excerpts from the audiobook version of Desi Arnaz's memoir were read by Juan Pablo de Pache. Thomas Avery of Tune Welders composed our theme music. TCM's general manager is Paula Shagnon. Our executive producer is Charlie Tavish. Check out our website at tcm.com backslash The Plot Thickens. It has info about each episode and photos from throughout Lucille Ball's life. Again, that's tcm.com backslash The Plot Thickens. I'm your host, Ben Mankiewicz. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.